Welcome. Thanks for joining us today. So glad you found us. If this is your first time, we want to say a special welcome to you and say thanks for finding us and checking us out. And if this is your spiritual home, we say uh, welcome to you and say thanks for spending some time with us this weekend. I want to share a couple things with you. One, we had such a great time last week as we handed out the One Minute Bible to our students. And you can see here in the picture, they were pretty excited to get it. I was pretty excited to get it to them. I'm excited that it's a tool that they'll be able to leverage and as they begin to hone in on their, their faith journey. And so you can pray for them. I want to remind you also, beginning the 17th, there's going to be a, a week of uh, thanks and praise in our community. And we will be hosting an event on Thanksgiving Eve, Wednesday the 24th here at 6.30 p.m. I invite you to mark your calendar and then hope that your schedule would allow for you to engage in our community here of faith, uh, just to, to give thanks for what God's done and continues to do. And then finally, this weekend, we have such a great time with our students. We, on Saturday, were one of 1,200 sites across the country for a Dare to Share Live experience. And so we spent a few hours together in worship and in study and learning about how to share our faith. And then we spent some time just dreaming about what life could look like in the days ahead for us as a church. And that was so encouraging. But again, that was just an incredible time and so grateful that they invested in uh, the conversation themselves. I would encourage you to pray for those young people. Uh, pray for us as a church and then pray that God would continue to direct our steps in this new season. And as we come together to worship this weekend, we're going to take a singular focus on this idea of the persecuted church. Our friends at Voice of the Martyrs drawn together some useful tools that I think can be helpful and just making us realize the benefits that we have, the blessings that we have, and yet the responsibility we have to pray for the larger church. And so we're going to jump right into the message this morning. And then as we conclude the message, we're going to spend some time in prayer for our persecuted brothers and sisters, and then we'll spend some time in worship together. Whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. We believe this or we don't. I want to ask the question this week, what is great faith? From the earliest days of the church, as we look in the book of Acts, we find stories of faithful Christians that have valued serving Jesus Christ more than the comfort and the safety and the possessions that they might gain in this earthly life. In other words, there have been people who have chosen to lose their lives for Christ's sake, literally. They've taken Jesus Christ at his word, that those who choose to do so will find eternal life to him, that, that, that they know that he is the way and the truth and the life. And as we look at this this week, I'm, I'm reminded that the movies are such an incredible part of our culture, uh, whether it's the Marvel Universe or uh, Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings or whatever series that you might watch, the, the amount of money that we spend on those uh, franchises, if you will, Something like $50 billion is spent globally for the top four franchises. And when you think that people from uh, Moscow to Miami, from Sydney to Stockholm, that they're drawn into these stories, into these uh, film franchises, why do you suppose that is? I want to suggest that 
probably the biggest reason is, is that we live in a world where humans have a common struggle against evil. And so these stories help to play that out and confirm in some way, maybe subconsciously, that, that good will triumph over evil. And yet we see it's a continual battle. And then we think about the season we've been living into over these many months, you know, the disease, the disaster, the economic turmoil, political turmoil, crime, just everything, that it prompts us to have a deeper hope, if you will, for something that's better, something that's good. And yet we know too, those that are followers of Jesus, that as we live our lives, we are continually encountering evil in so many different ways. And yet we need to be reminded too, and the reality of it is that we're given a greater source than any evil we can experience uh, that will bring us daily victory as we overcome evil with good. This morning we wanna look at one particular story, it comes out of World War II, the story of Richard and Sabina Wombrand. They were people who exemplified what sacrificial Christian living was all about. And as they lived their life for Jesus, for the sake of Jesus Christ, they overcame evil with good. And so the question as we look at their life is, what does it look like for someone to find life? I wanna invite you to watch this video and see the possibilities for your own life. In 1940, Nazi forces invaded Richard and Sabina Wormbrand's home country, Romania. There were no safe spaces for Jews. And though Christian, Richard and Sabina were ethnic Jews. Be afraid, for I am with you. Genesis 26. Do not be afraid of them. Joshua 8. I am. I'm kind of afraid. Seem to see IDs. All our lives remaining. Now we're Jews only. Christian, really? Show me about the Jewish party again, right? Battle of Parties, you can't come here. Puteți să vă uitați, dar nu e niciun evreu aici. Perhaps you should get out if you still can. Run away? If we stay, I'll follow the others into prison. It will be the end of our life together. Whosoever will save his life shall lose it. 
and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. We believe this or we don't. Richard and Sabina, like many Christians during World War II, had a choice. Lay low and hope the worst passed them by. Or get involved and be the hands and feet of Christ. All at great personal risk. I think we have to stay. We have a job to do. If they are coming, then they are coming. Let's not think of them as enemies to be feared, but rather as a mission. There is a fuller movie called Sabina that tells the story in a more in-depth way. Even in this five-minute short film, you can see that Sabina found a full and meaningful life as she trusted in Jesus Christ. This new life that she experienced then dramatically moved her to intentionally lose her life for Jesus Christ's sake as she lived her life day by day. What's in it for me is the anthem of selfishness, right? But there are plenty of times when we can ask this question, and it's even a wise question to ask. It's the right time to ask that question, what's in it for me, when maybe we're buying a car, or maybe uh, when you're a student choosing a college, or maybe you're looking for a job. The wrong time to ask what's in it for me is when you're volunteering your time, or when you're visiting your parents, or getting married. This question, what's in it for me, is a question that we usually ask when there's a price that needs to be paid. It may cost us some money, or it may cost us some of our time, or it may be even something that's inconvenient, or maybe even some aspect of our honor may be at risk. And yet we know Jesus asked each of his disciples to count the cost of following him. While we may stop and ask the question, what's in it for us? Those that inspire us by sharing Jesus Christ at any cost usually pay no attention to the, that particular question. You know, what is, what is great faith? Uh, there's a cost to it, uh, but there's also a reward that comes along with it. And yet, how do we measure what is a great faith? Well, it's not by how much we believe. It's not by how many prayers we see answered or how much time we spend going to church or doing church things. The measure of a great faith is by how big the one we believe is. And so we know that those who take bold steps of faith at any cost do so because they remain focused on the one who is greater than any price that they could pay. What happens when we rely on God to build a great faith in their lives? Well, there's three things. First, great faith does something for us. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. So what is Paul telling us? Well, first, great faith gives us peace with God. Now, you need to pay attention here. It's not peace of mind, but it's peace with God. And if we have peace with God, then 
that can give us peace of mind in every area of our life. Your relationships are better, your job has more meaning, and your outlook is positive. We also have the peace of knowing that any price we pay for sharing Jesus is worth it. That's how people like Richard and Sabina, or even those that have been martyred for their faith, can be at peace when they face danger. Dalton Thomas writes, though not every believer is called to give a martyr witness, every believer is called to embrace a martyr mentality. Every church, a martyr mandate. Every minister, a martyr's theology. Whether we live or die is ultimately in the hands of our master. And if we have not trusted him with that decision, we may be deluding ourselves into assuming we are his bondservants when in fact we are not. That's a sobering statement, isn't it? Let me ask you a question. Do you lack peace in your life? It might be because you don't have peace with God. Again, this idea of what great faith has for us is it does give us access to grace, Paul tells us. And it's not just for salvation, but it's also to sustain us and encourage us and develop us. Paul says we can be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. And we need to be reminded that God's grace has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. The writer says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Buying exercise equipment or a slow cooker or anything else is meant to make your life easier is just part of it. If you never use it, it's not going to help you. The same goes for this idea of grace. The grace that saved you must be used to help you live each day or you're not getting the full benefits of what God's offering you. And then a great faith for us gives us reason to hope, Paul says. And I don't mean hope like, I hope my team wins the Super Bowl or I hope the Browns beat the Steelers. Oh, yeah. Our hope is in the anticipation of a sure victory. You see, when we share Jesus Christ at any cost, it doesn't mean we are victorious in the world's estimation, but that we're ultimately victorious because of the value of what the gospel brings. Most of us don't know what it's like to give up our lives to follow Jesus Christ, but we may have given up something else. Now, perhaps you've, you gave up a, a bad habit or a past sin. Maybe there was a relationship that you just had to end. But what if your whole life was turned upside down because of your obedience to Jesus Christ? Today, God is still strengthening his people in Egypt, even as it ranks number 16 on the world watch list of most dangerous countries in the world for Christians. Today, believers here face the looming threats of Islamic extremism. They also face daily discrimination for their faith, whether it's in their communities, in their jobs, in their schools, and sometimes even in their homes. We live in a culture that does not accept our faith because they don't know, they don't understand. So because of that mixed up mindset, because of that distorted image of Christian faith, uh, many Muslims, they, they look to Christians as infidels. But even in the face of this extreme persecution, they have a powerful source of God's strength, and that's your prayers. Throughout scripture, God has delivered his people through what seems almost impossible odds. 
When you pray for your persecuted family, both here in Egypt and around the world, you remind them that God still does that today. He's still our deliverer. When I share that Christians around the world are praying for the Christians in Egypt, it's a refreshing news. There is a wider family of God that is checking on us, supporting us, praying for us. We do not stand alone. When we pause and think about the cost that Christians living in hostile areas and restricted nations are willing to pay for following Jesus Christ and to be able to serve Him boldly, we should be more inspired, I believe, to value and to live out our own faith, and no matter what the cost is for us. So our great faith does something for us, but then our second point here is that our great faith does something in us. Paul says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. When Paul writes that phrase, not only that, he's explaining that there's some added benefits that go along with the faith that saves us, that rescues us from our sins. Like that host of the old infomercial, right? He's telling us, but wait, there's more. The Holy Spirit is speaking to the words of the Bible and wants us to know that all the benefits of living for him. You're, you're saved by grace, but wait, there's more to live for. God answered your prayer, but wait, there's more you can believe. You found new meaning in life, but wait, there are more who need to know about Jesus. And so what's interesting in this, this first benefit is he starts out with this idea of sufferings. So let me just unpack it here a moment. So no matter the circumstances, this idea of having a great faith keeps producing in our lives, that our suffering leads to endurance, that our endurance leads to character, and that our character leads to hope. And then the result of this process is an increasing maturity to obey the instructions of Christ. Why? Well, because when we pursue spiritual maturity, we need to be reminded it's day by day. It's decision by decision. It's a process. And when we walk in faith and not by sight, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, God takes and builds a greater endurance, if you will, a greater character and a more secure hope. And then, as I'm more obedient, it results in more suffering, more endurance, more character, and more hope. For those of us that follow Jesus, it's a process that never ends. It's a hope based on a love that never returns empty. Again, I'm reminded of this quote from C.S. Lewis. How in this story in The Horse and the Boy, Lewis says that if you do one good deed, your reward usually is to be set to do another and a harder and a better one. That's this process that Paul lays out here. It's a hope based on love that never returns empty. There's a guarantee we can count on. There's a promise we can be sure of. There's an asset that never returns empty. And see, when we put our hope in God's love, we have a sure return on our investment. Though it may cost us everything, we can be sure that it'll be worth it. Why? Well, because of his great love that works through us. Again, another illustration here from our friends at The Voice of the Martyrs. 
story about five missionaries to the Aka Indians in Ecuador were killed in one day. Their wives received the news with composure. The norm of Christian living is to die for one's faith. No one really acknowledges a law to be the law of God if he's not ready to die for it. Not everyone has the privilege of a martyr's death, but every Christian has to die before he dies. The five martyrs had guns on them when they died. They could have defended their lives, but they chose not to. They chose to die rather than to shoot the Indians. They had died before dying, if you will. How could a corpse shoot anyone? They were alive only for God. These martyrs gave their lives to bring the gospel to a tribe which at the time numbered only 56 people. So the question becomes, how were these missionaries able to die obeying Christ? Well, they had developed a great faith in a great God who had loved them greatly. Moreover, he always does something for us, in us, and through us. And it's their obedience that should inspire us even today. And so a great faith does something for us, a great faith does something in us, and then a great faith here, the third point, does something through us. Again, looking here at Paul in Romans chapter 5. You see, at just the right time, we were still powerless. Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So, the question, how great is the love of God? How can we even comprehend it? I mean, how can we even contain it? We write songs about it, but they always seem to come up short, don't they? We can offer all sorts of theological papers on the subject, but they often ring hollow. The only way to truly understand God's great love is to put it into action and to do that through our lives. That's the ultimate expression of a great faith. This modern love that we live in today is based on only what the individual can get out of it. That's why I would argue that our relationships don't last, why infidelity is rampant in our culture, and why divorces are increasing while marriages are decreasing. Our modern understanding of love is at odds with what the scriptures call godly love, because godly love is based on what we give rather than what we get. And so when we express our great faith, we are focused not on what God gives us, but on what we can give in return. Now, it's also true that, and yet true love is sacrificial by its very nature. Love gives. John 3.16 tells us, it describes the greatest sacrifice that God gave. God loved, it says. God gave. And we have to first understand that God's great love was expressed to us by dying for us while we were sinners. There was nothing in it for God. There was no guarantee that we would receive his gift and accept him as a savior. And yet God offered his one and only son as a substitution for our sin anyway. And then we have to understand that God's great love made us friends of God. And I just love that understanding. We once were enemies with God, the scriptures tell us, hostile towards him. Paul says that in Romans chapter 8, verse 7. His grace not only provided forgiveness for our sins, but also it transforms us from being his enemies to being his friends. That's just a crazy concept. Abraham was described as a friend of God. 
in James chapter 2, verse 23. This friendship, described by the Greek word philios, really means an intimacy that bypasses the notion of a buddy. It's a relationship that's marked by loyalty and by deep commitment. John writes, no longer do I call you servants, but I have called you friends. John 15, verse 15. Here's what we need to understand. He did not save us to make us slaves. He saved us and invites us into his story to carry out his redemptive purposes. That's John chapter 20, verse 21. And to declare his glory among the nations. Psalm 96, verses 3 and 4. We get to join God in his redemptive mission, what we call the Missio Dei, and it's not possible outside of an abiding presence with Jesus Christ. That's John chapter 15, verse 5. The love that we, as the friends of God, display to others is rooted in our love for God. A missionary once shared that people asked him all the time about his great love for the people he served. Their logical assumption was that his decades of service to a native people living simply, eating strange food, and being separated from his family was a result of some kind of great love for the people who lived on his mission field. Of course, he replied, I have grown to love the people very much over these past decades. And then with a smile, he continues, but my obedience to go to this people to share the love of God wasn't grounded in my love for them. It was because of my love for God. So where is this going? Well, I want to say that those who share Christ at any cost don't live normal or mundane lives. There is something richer about their existence that is fueled by a great faith and a great God. Their obedience is intentional. Here's the understanding that they look for opportunities at every turn. They create moments to lead others to know Jesus. They know and listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. They intentionally speak with those they know. Their incredible lives are marked by a love that goes as deep as Jesus Christ's love for us. In fact, it's the love that controls them. For the love of Christ controls us, Paul says, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died, and he died for all. But those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. If we pay the ultimate cost, our own lives, then it's too, if we pay the ultimate cost with our own lives, then it's not too great a price. In fact, those who are controlled by the love of God have already died to themselves. They died to themselves so that others might live for Christ. What in your life needs to die in order for God to build a great faith? What's in the way? The cost may be great, but it's not too great compared with Jesus' love for us and his love for you. When we put to death the things in our lives that get in the way of that love, we will be able to boldly proclaim God's life-giving love to others. Like Sabina and Richard Wormbrand, today's persecuted Christians, living in hostile areas and restricted nations are bold witnesses for Christ. Choosing to give up their comfort and safety in this world in order to find a life that counts for eternity. The first request from our persecuted Christian brothers and sisters is, will you pray for me? As we pray for them to endure opposition in order to advance the gospel, may we be inspired by their example to pay any price necessary in obedience to Christ.
spend some time, so to land this week's message, I want to spend some time praying for persecuted Christians. I want to join with others across the world who are praying together this day for those that are being persecuted. So let's pray. Let's pray for those as they give up their rights and safety in this world, where they endure opposition in order to boldly advance the gospel. Jesus, you reminded us that for whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Today, let's pray for the Christians in Iran who risk their freedom and lives to place God's word in the hands of those who do not know Jesus. And God, let's pray that every Bible that's distributed in Iran and in every hostile area and restricted nation will be read or listened to that will lead many new people to life in Christ. And God, we pray for the gospel workers on the front lines of ministry in Central Asia as they share the gospel with everyone they meet, even the secret police. And then God, we pray for these frontline workers and others like them to continue walking in obedience, joyfully giving their lives in order to lead others to a new life in Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray for the Ethiopian Christians as they baptize former Somali Muslims in the backyard of a church building that was once a brothel. And Father, we pray with thanks to you for these new believers in Ethiopia and others like them who are one to Christ on the world's most difficult and dangerous mission fields. And so make this your prayer today. Father, you are my Lord, and I choose to be your faithful witness. May I draw encouragement from our persecuted Christian family and lay all of my desires, competing identities, and rights aside to live solely for the sake of your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being with us this weekend. So good to have you with us. I hope you were encouraged by these incredible stories. There's a link here for Voice of the Martyrs where you can learn more about the good work that they're doing. And again, as we lean into the week ahead, I pray that you would sense God's movement in your life and that you not miss any opportunity he brings to you. And to be reminded, as we've heard again today, that you've been blessed to be a blessing. And so go forth and serve Christ in his name. Amen. Have a great week.